number of weeks we've been talking about why we. I really believe this is very important. I know that it's very important that we, that we spend some time asking and answering the why we questions. And in recent weeks, we've talked about why we believe in Christ. And, and then we, we talked about why we pray and why we belong together. That was a few weeks ago. Why, why do we belong together? And then why we serve others. Last week, we, we looked at that. Why do we serve? And this morning, I want to share why we give. Why do we give? I mean, why, why do we do that? Why, why is that four-letter word, G-I-V-E, give? Why is that so important to us as followers of Jesus Christ? And, and it is about followers of Jesus Christ, not just people of Aberdeen First Assembly, although we're, of course, a part of the body of Christ. But why is that important to us as followers of Jesus Christ, and why is that important to us here at AFA? And I want to ask that question, and I... I want to answer it this morning, but today I, be, I begin with a little bit of a different way. I begin with a story. How many here like stories? Come on, let me see your hands. Of course you do. Every good movie is a story. Some of the best ways to go to sleep is with a great story. And, 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 and I, here's a good story. I wrote much of it myself. After a long and arduous, hard day of work, a man was walking home. One day, wanting to get home quickly, he took a shortcut through a, a vacant field. It was obviously vacant. Weeds had overgrown it. Pieces of trash covered it. The, the land was for sale. He, he knew that because on his way through this shortcut, he saw this old for sale sign. You know the kind of for sale sign that it's been for sale a long time because it's peeling and it's faded. But apparently, because it had been for sale for so long, no one wanted this really kind of worthless piece of ground. Halfway through the field, anxious to get home, the sun is setting, something caught his attention. Something, it was, it was out of place. Maybe, maybe the wind had exposed it. Maybe it was some rain or something that had pushed some of the garbage that had collected and some of the dirt that was there, had somehow pushed it aside, and there was something there. Down in the dirt was a corner of a box, corner of a wooden box, something substantial. The man looked at it, and, and again, it just almost, beside the, really thinking about it, he just went over and he kicked it, and, and, and it didn't move, it kind of thunked. It was obviously heavy and it was deeply buried. Just one kick wasn't going to dislodge it. So again, just more out of curiosity than anything, he got down on his knees and he started pulling away with his hands some of the dirt and exposed a little bit more of it. And, and, and now the, the ground was a little bit harder, so he reached over and he grabbed this kind of a flat rock and he began to pull the dirt away from around the corner of this, what appear, appeared to be a box. And the more that the box was exposed, the more excited he became. After removing enough dirt, about maybe a little bit more than halfway down this rather sizable box, he noticed there was a metal handle there, so he took hold of the handle and he gave it a yank and he pulled it out. Now he's really excited because he can tell this was, 
this was a pretty well-made box, and it's been there a very long time. And he reached down, and he saw some clasps on the side, and with hands shaking just a little bit, he un- unlatched the clasp, and he opened it up. While it was nearly dark, there was, there was still enough light to see the contents of the box, and, and what he saw inside the box took his breath away. There were hundreds of coins, gold and silver coins. And there were jewels, and there were emeralds, and there were rubies. There was, there was, there was treasure that was almost unimaginable. Scores of pounds of treasure. It was more wealth than he had ever seen. In fact, it was more wealth in one place than he could ever imagine. His heart was pounding. He looked around. Again, the sun is almost set. He looks around and seeing no one, he quickly gets back down again on his knees and he puts the box back into the ground and he puts the dirt over it and then he he puts that rock that he'd helped to dig it out with. He puts that kind of on as a marker and he threw some brush over that And then he walks very quickly now, and now he's a little bit more excited. He's walking faster than how he had got halfway through. Now he's walking faster, and he counts his paces to the end of the the piece of property so that he can find his way back. His weariness from the day's work is absolutely gone. He doesn't feel how tired he is. In fact, he doesn't feel tired at all. And on his mind, there's only two things the box of treasure, and the for sale sign. He can't get those two things out of his mind. He was more excited than he had ever been in his life. And so, again, now with the sunset, he makes his way home, and and he slept hardly at all that night. In his mind, he just kept thinking of those two things, the box of unimaginable treasure and the for sale sign. Early the next morning, he, he took all of his money. He went into every part of the house, and where there was money, he got the money. He went to the bank, and he took out all of the money from the bank, but it still wasn't enough. So he had some possessions, not many, not of great value, but he sold everything. He sold everything. His, his family probably thought he was crazy, but he sold everything, and he did it with great delight. He took the proceeds of all of the sale of that and the money that he had and he goes and he went to the owner of the land and he gives him the money. He does it it willingly, not under duress. He's excited about it. He gives it to him and he buys the land. He gladly did so because in receiving the field, he also received the treasure. The end. Do you like the story? We, we, we like stories like that because um, we can imagine ourselves walking through a field. I, I may have shared this before. When I was a kid, my dad had a whole stack of these Old West magazines, you know, stories of the Old West. And on the front of one was there was a picture, a picture of a guy who was digging with a post hole digger and he had dug down and he'd found a pile of gold. And there it was beside, and I'll tell you what, I should have never ever seen that picture because from that, I think my dad planted it there because every time I was digging a post hole out in the field, I'm hoping I hit treasure. Never did. (laughs) Just rocks. (laughs) 
We, we imagine ourselves in, in a story like that. We like stories of hidden treasure, but the story that I told, and some of you know this, the story isn't mine. It's actually Jesus' story. It's from Matthew chapter 13, and that story contains the reason for why we give. I added to it. I, I embellished it. Verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13 is the story, and Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. It's one of the shortest parables in the Bible. It's so short, I want to read it again. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had, and he bought the field. Jesus is speaking here. He's, he's giving these kingdom principles in a very understandable way. That's what parables did and continue to do. Jesus is, is speaking here about the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, let me, let me just kind of back away from the story for a moment and tell you that whenever you see the words kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in the Bible, it's not talking about a future place where God resides and where followers of Jesus Christ go to when they die. That is a part of the kingdom of heaven, but I don't want you to think of the kingdom of heaven as only being a future place where we go when we die. Because when the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and they're often interchangeable depending on the gospel, whenever you see that, it's actually talking about the universal reign of Jesus Christ. It means His purpose and His plan for all of eternity. The universal reign of God, both present and future. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. A treasure that this man found and then he hid and then sold everything he had so that he could buy the field. But he really wasn't just getting the field, he was really all about the treasure. And he got the field, he got the treasure. Now, let's go back to this man for a moment, this man who found this treasure, hid it again, went and bought the field, and it's, it's implied that then he later went back and got it. Let's talk about this man for a little bit. That man's amazing discovery changed nearly everything in his life. Think about it. In just a span of a very short time, really minutes, however long it took him to dig it up and then rebury it, His life was dramatically changed in a very short time. His amazing discovery changed nearly everything in his life. It changed how he viewed the field. Remember, when he went into the field, there's a for sale sign. He knows the place is for sale. It's probably been for sale for a long time. It was probably in his neighborhood, and probably everyone knew that it was for sale. But when he discovered the treasure, suddenly he saw the field differently. His future. I don't know what the guy did. Again, Jesus did not elaborate. It didn't say he had a lot of challenges or he had a lot of hopelessness. I don't know what he had. But I promise you this, after his discovery, he saw the future differently than he had 10 minutes before. 
His amazing discovery changed how he perceived his few possessions. I'm pretty sure that this man, before his discovery, viewed all that he had as pretty precious. The little stuff that he had, the trinkets of some value that he had back at the house. But when he discovered the hidden treasure, suddenly that stuff that had always been back home now takes on a different, a different understanding. He perceives it differently. His discovery changed his decisions and it changed his actions. <laughs> it changed everything. In, in the span of a short period of time, this guy, upon this discovery, everything has changed. There's a part of the story, Jesus' story, not mine, Jesus' story, that I think in the, in the midst of all of the hidden treasure, because whenever we see something like that, we're just kind of pulled in. There's a key part of the short story that I want you to see, and there are the three words you see it up here on the screen, and it says, in his joy. Please notice that. It's a very important part of it. Again, in a story of hidden treasure, it's easy to overlook those words. But it says there that in his joy, in his joy, he, after the discovery, in his joy, because of the discovery, in his joy, he went home that night. Remember, he feels differently now. He doesn't feel the weariness from the day. Yes, yeah, suddenly there's, there's something joyous. In his joy, he sold everything he had. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine how he went home that night and his wife said, you're going to do what? i got to sell it? I don't know if he explained it to her or not. I'm thinking, he, I'm hoping he did, or maybe he just said, just trust me in this. I don't know. But, but with joy, he sold everything he had. That's what it says. That's what Jesus said. With joy, he purchased the field. He didn't go to the guy who owned the field or the realtor or the whoever you know the, the broker was. He didn't go to him and said, man, I really hate to... Uh, it wasn't anything like, uh, it's going to be so... Oh, it's going to be so hard to get... Oh, I can't get... No, he was like, where do I sign? Here's the money. Take it all. You want some extra? That, those three words are key. In his joy... In his joy, he purchased the field. Why? Because knowing the true treasure that was in the field, it caused him to do what he did with joy. Because he knew there was something there that was of incredible value. And so he joyfully did it. After his discovery, nearly nothing he did going home that night, a sleepless night, selling everything he had, Pain for ground that by all appearances seemed to be worthless. I doubt that if you were to ask that man afterwards, was any of that a sacrifice? He probably would have said something like this. It was kind of difficult. I didn't sleep much. Had a little bit of anxiety. I sold some valuable things, but sacrifice? Well, in the whole scheme of things, no. In, in the big picture, no, really nothing that I did was, was really that big of a sacrifice when I, when I consider what I got in return. This morning, in our few minutes together, I want to 
I want to confront and I want to refute a misunderstanding that many Christians have. It's common. It's a, it's a common misunderstanding. It's a widespread misunderstanding. I've had this misunderstanding. Many of you have probably had this misunderstanding. Many times we who follow Jesus Christ believe that what we do for Christ, what we surrender to Christ, what we give up for Christ is somehow burdensome. You ever done that? Don't, don't raise your hands, but just in your minds answer the question. Have you ever done that? Where, where Jesus asks you to do something, he puts it on your heart to do something, and you're going, oh, that is, that's a big price. I don't know if I can do that. You're asking a lot, God. I don't know if I can sacrifice that much. We, we've done it. And we've sometimes perpetrated and talked about, oh, let me tell you what I've given up for Jesus. I've heard people say that. And we send the message that to follow Him, it's going to cost a lot. That to follow Him means we're going to suffer a lot. That in following Him, it's going to hurt a lot. And by the way, that is precisely what the enemy of our souls, Satan, wants people to believe. That serving Jesus Christ is arduous. That surrendering to Him is somehow agonizing. That living for Him is the most mundane, shallow, one-dimensional life imaginable. That is what the enemy wants people to believe. And I'm confronting it today, and I'm refuting it today. I am convinced that is when, why many people reject Jesus Christ. Again, that is why many people say, I want nothing to do with Jesus, because they bought in to this satanic lie that, that, that because they think serving Him is all about sacrifice, that serving Him is, means to give up, and serving Him means to lose out on the best things in life. Now let me be very clear on something. Jesus himself said, if you want to be my disciples, you need to surrender your, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. He said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow. So yeah, there's some denial, there's some cross, there's some following. I get that. I'm not saying that the Christian life is easy. But let me tell you something. It's incomparably more easy than following Satan. But we have this understanding or sometimes this, this misunderstanding that to follow him is just so difficult and we talk about it. Again, I'm not saying it's always easy. It's not. But life is made infinitely easier serving Jesus Christ than not serving him. And yet the enemy, the enemy of our souls has been very effective at convincing people that serving Jesus Christ is joyless. He has been very effective at convincing people that to serve Jesus Christ means you abandon all joy here. And even some of those who follow Jesus Christ have taken on that attitude. So if something is given, it's given begrudgingly. Or if something is given, it's given reluctantly. Or if something is given, it's given under duress or it's given out of obligation. 
And the result is that there's very little joy in giving of our time or giving of our resources or giving of our skills or giving of our attention or giving of our compassion. Well, I'll give, but I'm not happy about this. I don't really like to give, but I'll do it because I know it's the right thing to do. And when, we, when the heart isn't right, then we, we miss out on the joy. It's not how God intended it. It's not how God intended it. Quite frankly, that's not how I want to live. I, I, I want to live with Matthew 13, 44, joy. That's how I want to live. So that I understand the big picture. So that I understand that because He gave His life for me, then everything that I have is already His. And if He's asking me to give something else, well then I'll give it. It's worth it. I want to live with Matthew 13, 44, joy. I'm going to say it again. I want to live with Matthew 13, 44, joy. With my time, my resources, my abilities, my attention, my compassion. That if he calls us to do something, even something difficult, we have the assurance that whatever we give is going to have an amazing eternal return. So that instead of thinking, oh, oh, this is going to be hard. Instead of thinking that, we go, what an amazing opportunity. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. But if he's calling me to do it, well, then it's got to be worth it. Give an example. In Acts chapter 3, uh, it was not too long after the day of Pentecost. Day of Pentecost is chapter 2. So it may have been days, weeks, maybe months, not very long. Uh, the Bible says that Peter and John are, are walking along and they encounter this guy who is crippled. He's a beggar, right? You know the story. And he's basically saying, alms for the poor. Do you have something for the poor? And, and Peter, Peter's standing with John. Peter talks to him and he, and he comes up to him and he says, you know, he says this, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give, there's that word give, he says, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you, and, and, and with hardly breaking a, the sentence, he goes, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He reaches down, grabs the guy, hand the guy stands up and starts walking around. Cool miracle. <laughs> okay, now, you're saying, well, what does it have to do with giving? Because well, he says, he said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't say, now remember, this is still so new, right? They don't know how this is. It was, wasn't too long the day of Pentecost came. Jesus had just ascended into heaven about 10 days before that. Um, so everything is kind of new. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't look over to John and say, hey, John, this guy has a need, but I don't, know how much, I don't know how much healing power we actually have, so we may want to save this for something else. I mean, this guy, he's got, you know, he's got this thing going. He's getting some money. He's got enough to do. Maybe we should save it for like a leper colony or something like that. Hi, Delbert and Yvette. Good to see you guys. Welcome home. Prodigals have returned. No, they're not prodigals. They just live in the Black Hills. Don't mess me up. Don't... 
So, so they, 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 he didn't say, hey, listen, I don't hardly have anything. We don't have very much of this, so let's be careful. This may be a limited quantity. No, here's what I think he did. Here's what I think that, here's what I think that Peter did. In his mind, it was like this fast. He was I don't have what you're, what you're wanting, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And I don't think it even entered into his mind that we have a limited amount. He was going to give it because he realized that as he gave it, God was going to give him more. So, so, okay, I don't have what you want, I have what you need, and I'm going to give you what you need in the name of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth, stand up and walk, and the guy starts, and a miracle happens, glory to God. It's one of the first miracles post-Pentecost, which, by the way, continues to this day. But he didn't, he didn't you know, dispense it in small amounts. That, I think he did it with joy. I, I don't think he says, oh, I don't have much, but I'll give you a little bit of Jesus. No, I think it's just take it, man, take it. And he did it with joy, and the joy spread to that man, and the joy spread to the air, and other people got excited. This morning, when you saw the words go up on the screen, why we give, some here may have thought I was setting you up for an offering. I'm not. In fact, in fact, if you think that, i got some really good news for you this morning. This is going to blow you away. When you have an occasion to give of your time or your resources or your abilities, if you cannot give it with joy, then don't give. Now, now, okay, now, how many times are you going to hear a preacher say that? If you can't give with joy, then don't give. And I mean it. I really mean it. Because if you give only out of obligation, if any kind of giving of your time, your resources, your abilities, if you only give it out of some kind of a drudgery, and if it's painful to give even a small amount, then here's what's going to happen. If and when you give, you will quickly become resentful, you will become bitter, you will become spiritually calloused. If you can't give with joy, then please don't give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it's talking about our offerings. And it says there in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that we are not to give reluctantly or under compulsion, but with a willing heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you've heard that maybe all your life. That's really, that's, that's, that's the same thing. Don't, don't give begrudgingly. Don't give like, oh, I don't know, i got to do this. Uh. I, was, I was at Kessler's uh, store yesterday morning picking up some groceries, and, uh, and, and uh, I, 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 I uh, walked by, the, the Girl Scouts were selling cookies. My wife said, uh-oh. Um, I've never been addicted to crack cocaine, but it must be something like those little mint cookies that, you know what I'm talking about? So I know I can't, I can't do it. And, and I don't want to, and, and so, you know, I, 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 just, I just walked right on past. And I felt a little bit bad because I know that if I give, I'm going to give because I'm trying to help them out. And I don't need the cookies, so I'm just walking by. I don't want to give for the wrong reason. If someone calls me up, and this has happened, some of you said, hey, call, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in, you know, prison for the March of Dimes, 
Well, some of you called me up and said you're in prison too, but that's a different story. <laughs> 20 years, a lot of things happen, let me tell you. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm in, I'm in uh, they're holding me hostage. You have to pay $20 to March of Dimes to get me out. I won't do it because I don't want to, it's not with the right heart. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just, when I give, I want to give with the right heart. I, I don't want to give out of obligation. If you can't give with joy, then don't give. I want you to understand that God did not give us these principles to fund his work. Let me say that again. God did not give us these biblical principles to fund his work. God does not need your money. And let me add this. Your church does not need your money. God is going to supply. He's going to cover his expenses with or without you. In 25 years of pastoring, there have been just one or two occasions where somebody has come up to me and said, you know what, if it weren't for my money, this place would grind to a halt. And my response on both occasions would be, we don't need your money. God is going to carry on this work with or without you. Because if we ever think that this is going to rise or fall on us, we have put ourselves in the middle rather than God. It's a dangerous place. God does not need your money. Rather, he gives us these principles so that we could all have a part in what he is doing and so that you and I could live with that same kind of huge joy when we see that we see in that very little parable. Huge joy, little parable. That's, that's why he does it. He has blessed us. He has given, and he desires to give through us, not so that we can be the ones to support his kingdom. It's so that we can have a part in his kingdom and so that God can bless and use us. That's why Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says this. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The blessing is in the giving. And again, I'm not one of those kind of guys that says, all right, we're going to take an offering, and whatever you put in, you're going to get ten times back before next Sunday. I don't like that. It's wrong. It's manipulative. I don't like that. But what I will tell you, what I will tell you is this. The blessing, if I never receive monetary blessing for whatever I give, if I don't receive anything back monetarily, I am blessed to give, period. I'm blessed. I get to have a part in what God is doing. That's the, the blessing. Is there an eternal reward? Yes. Again, as I mentioned last week, the Bible, Jesus said that if even a cup of cold water is given in his name, it will be reckoned to us. In other words, it will be, it will be recorded for all of eternity. Glory to God. So yes, I recognize that there's an eternal reward. I'm just blessed to give because I get to have a part in what God is doing. My friends, when you surrender to him, your calendar... See, sometimes we have, like, there, and there are, there are many, so many people who have uh, a, a, more than enough money, but they have very little time. And, and it's difficult to give much time. But if you, if you surrender to him your calendar, and if you surrender to him your strength, some of you this morning, you just have so little strength, and it's, and it's, it's, it's almost depleting, and you see it almost less and less every day. But if you surrender to him your strength, 
And if you surrender to him your connections, some of you know many people, some of you know some influential people, but you surrender your connections. And if you surrender any favor you have with others, when you surrender to him your financial resources and your abilities and your plans, you're only giving a small part of all that he's given you. We think, oh God, I'm giving so much. Wait a minute, everything I have is his. Say, well, I I don't have much time. I've got to give God a little bit of my time. You wouldn't have any time were it not for him. I don't don't know if I can have the strength to do what he's called me to do. Well, just give out of what you have, and he'll give you more. Whatever you give, even if it's a lot, it's only a small part in comparison to what he's already given you. And when you give it, just give it with joy. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus told his followers, he said this, He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And then he said this, freely you've received, freely give. Everything that you have, anything that you can give away, is because you've freely received it, now just freely give it. I really struggled with putting in this next statement. I put it in, I took it out, and I really feel like I had to put it in, but I'm going to say it. This morning... Someone here is in a relationship that you know is inappropriate. Someone here this morning, you have some kind of a a relationship. I don't know what kind it is, but you're in some kind of a relationship that you think, I can't get out of, but it's inappropriate. You think that you can't give it up because it's too big a sacrifice. That's what the enemy wants you to think. But as long as you continue, you'll never have true joy. Because you're thinking, I'm supposed to give something up? I'm supposed to give this to him? Yes. You're thinking it's sacrificial. It's not. God wants to give you Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, joy. And that holding on to that is is keeping you from true joy. You need to surrender it today. There's someone else today. The Lord is calling you to do something that means a change in your career plans. But you're reluctant to do so because... You've been listening to the lies of the enemy that to give, to give him your plans and to give him your, your, your future is a huge sacrifice. Listen, you may become wildly successful in your career or in your job or you may just plug along and barely make ends meet. But as long as you try to bring, to, as you try being the master of your own destiny, you will never have true joy. Let me say that again. As long as you keep trying to be the master of your own destiny, you will never have true joy. Give him your plans. Give it with joy. Give him your future. And then stand back and watch him do something amazing with it. But you have to give it. I can't. I can't. Fine. You'll never know the joy. Perhaps you're wondering this morning, or you have been wondering about this whole tithe thing. You may be thinking, God's asking too much. You may be thinking, there's absolutely no way. I can't pencil it out. I don't understand how that could possibly work. I say, trust God when he promises that you cannot outgive him. Trust him. I don't say that because I'm on this side of the platform. I'm saying it because I've been there and I've experienced it and I've seen so little. I'm saying, oh God, I don't understand how 
Mathematically, it doesn't pencil out, but I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to trust you. And I've seen him work miracles again and again and again in our lives. So many of you the same. I say that when God calls us to do something, let's look at it and say, what an amazing opportunity. What an amazing opportunity. This morning, I want you to continue or to start. Every person here, no exceptions. I want you to continue or in some cases, I need some of you to start living with the assurance that God is your source and nothing else. Let me say that again. This morning, I want you either to continue or I want you to begin living with the assurance that God is your source and nothing else. Let me tell you, your employer is not your source. That job that you have, that's just the means of which God is going to put his resources into your life. But that job, that, 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 that boss, that company is not your source. Your investments, a lot or a little or somewhere in between, those investments are not your source. Your land is not your source. Your friends are not your source. Your president or your governor is not your source. Jesus Christ is your source for everything that you need. Living, I want you to be living with that kind of joy this morning. That is the Jesus way of living. He is our source. And there are so many times we say, well, I can't do this because of this. You know, there are people today who's, who's uh, dangerous here. There are people today who, who, who listen to their credit card company more than they listen to the Spirit of God. And it's wrong. It's wrong. There are some today who are looking to the government with some kind of a check, and you're looking to that as your source more than you're looking to the power of Jesus Christ. And it's wrong. He's our source. He is our source. That's why we give. That's why we give. It's because everything that I have is His. It's because whatever you've called me to do, if you're calling me to do it, then I give it, and I give it with joy and the blessing will be there. This morning, you may think that this is a kind of a strange message to lead into a time of communion. But this morning, we're going to close with communion. And I want to share one more verse with you when we talk about giving and joy. And it's this. It's a verse that some of you know very well. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to see those words who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Was the cross painful? More than we'll ever know. Were the events leading up to it difficult? More than we'll ever know. But what caused him to do it? For the joy set before him, Jesus endured. Without doing an injustice to Scripture, Jesus gave 
is life with joy. Because he knew that in giving his life, the kingdom would forever, after that, be altered. And so with joy, not with ease, not without pain, not without some difficulty, but with joy, Jesus said, it's worth it. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Please. And gentlemen, if you would, those who are assisting me, if you would step forward and we want to begin preparing ourselves. But as they do that, I want to pray with the rest of you. Lord, as we give this morning and as we give with our lives this week, as we give, Lord, may we give with joy. Lord, this is why we give, because everything that we have was first given by you. So, Lord, prepare our hearts in these moments ahead as we receive the emblem of your greatest gift, your life. As you continue in an attitude of praise, you can go ahead, gentlemen. Thank you. This morning, we're receiving communion. You need to understand if you're here for the first time or maybe the first time since we've received communion together, you do not need to be a member of this church. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are walking with Him, then we encourage you to partake. And I would also ask this, if when you receive it, would you please hold it until everyone, until all of these emblems have been distributed and then we'll receive it together as a body of believers. So if you would please hold it. We encourage you to partake. And also, I encourage you, as I always do in this time, would you allow the Holy Spirit to just do a scan of your life? Say, Lord, is there anything in me that I need to surrender to you? This is a great time to do that. It doesn't have to be only a community. It can be at any moment that you go to Him, but would you do that right now? The Bible says that we are to search our hearts that we are so that we do not eat or drink unworthily is the word the Bible uses, in other words, without searching our hearts. So would you do that in these next few moments, just where you are, make it an altar, a place of prayer. Say, Lord, do a scan of my heart, my mind. Is there anything that I need to surrender to you? Anything I need to give to you? I promise you, it'll be worth it.
among believers around the world and throughout the last 2,000 years. One of the most important events that happen among a body of believers, large or small, is to remember again the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's to remember the sacrifice that he gave with joy for us. Even very early on, just a few years, really, after Jesus ascended into heaven, following his death and resurrection, just really a few years after the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and he said this, I received from the Lord Jesus what I also pass on to you. And then he reflects. By the way, Paul was not present at the Last Supper. He knew people who were. He'd heard about that, that Last Supper that became so powerful. And he said, The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said this, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You take the bread, Jesus. We remember, we remember you. We remember what you did. We remember your sacrifice, your brokenness. This morning, we also remember that you did it for the joy set before you. We remember and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, let's receive the bread together. In the very same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus was saying that this Passover cup that they had been observing for 14 or 15 centuries now took on an an entirely new meaning. He was not talking about a Passover lamb back in ancient Egypt. He was referring to himself, a new covenant, he said, in my blood. And we are to remember him. And then Paul finished with these statements. He said, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we proclaim you. And even the very act of receiving this today, we declare you. We declare you. gathering around this table today we remember your sacrifice we remember your shed blood that purchased our salvation we remember that you did it with joy so Lord having purchased us everything that we have is yours 
we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the cup together. And it's entirely appropriate just to thank him right now, right where you are. Just thank him. Just thank him, even with your words, just out loud, just thank him. Just praise him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving yourself. Thank you for giving yourself. Thank you for giving yourself. Because you gave yourself on that cross, because you rose from the dead, Lord, all that I have is because of you. All that I am is because of you. There's nothing about me that is there outside of your grace. And we rejoice together in you. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me, please? I encourage you. I encourage you this morning to go ahead and greet each other in a moment. We're going to close in prayer. And I encourage you this morning just to fellowship after that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence in our lives. I thank you for your purposes in our lives. And now, Lord, I ask that as we go in the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord Jesus, that as we go in your strength, you will use us and you will empower us. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.